Um, so today we're reading John chapter 1, verses 35 to 51. Um, if you're following along with the Pew Bible, that's on page 750. John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, "We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ." And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, "You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which which when translated is Peter." The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, "Follow me." Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, He is a true Israelite, in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Uh, let's pray, shall we? Father, gracious Father, we want to thank you for your word. We pray now that uh, by your spirit that you would be opening our eyes and softening our hearts, uh, that we would be people who uh, not only hear your word but um, obey it and follow Jesus uh, more obediently. In his name we pray. Amen. What is it that attracts most people to come to Jesus? Uh, the McCrindle uh, Research Group did some research on a, a question which was similar to that uh, a few years ago in Australia, where they asked Australians uh, what attracts them to a religion or spirituality. And the results uh, were interesting. Um, the top results were uh, experiencing a personal difficulty or a change in life circumstances and also meeting someone whose faith was genuine who would have thought that if you actually meet someone who's got a genuine faith in our case a faith in Jesus that that would actually be attractive it makes sense doesn't it uh, word of mouth with a genuine enthusiasm for Jesus has always been a key reason why others have come to faith in him and come to, to know Jesus. And that uh, long before the internet and social media, as helpful as those things are. 
In fact, in John chapter 1, we see how it all started in terms of people starting to follow Jesus. Because uh, in our passage today, it's the account of the very first people who came to believe in Jesus and came to follow him. And unsurprisingly, uh, it happened by individuals telling others about Jesus. Uh, the first person to do so, who was the first person to tell others about Jesus? It was John the Baptist, wasn't it? And if you open up your Bibles um, in John chapter 1, uh, we see this in verses 35 through to 39, where uh, John is baptising uh, down by the Jordan River, and uh, Jesus appears, and John points out to um, those who are around uh, that Jesus is there, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And so he points people to Jesus. And what happens? Well, two of John's disciples, they decide to leave John, and instead they decide to follow Jesus. Now, um, have you ever thought about this? That, that actually means that John the Baptist at that point lost two of his followers. But J John didn't mind that because John's purpose, John's very reason for preaching was in order to prepare people for Jesus so that people would actually meet Jesus. Uh, for John, uh, it was never about him. Uh, he wasn't jealous or upset that people left him to follow Jesus. No, uh, for John... Uh, as it should be for us, it was always about Jesus. It was always about pointing people to Jesus. Now, for these two men, following Jesus uh, literally meant following him. I mean, I'm talking about walking behind Jesus, physically actually following him. And notice how Jesus responds to that. In verse 38, he, sees these two, he notices these two men who are following him. So he turns around and he asks them, he says, what do you want? Now, I guess that's a reasonable question. I mean, if you had someone who was following you, you might either speed up to get away from them or you might turn around and say, what do you want? But for, coming from the lips of Jesus, um, this question actually has a much deeper meaning uh, because they answer his question with a question of their own and they answer jesus says what do you want and they say where are you staying where are you staying that seems a strange answer doesn't it but remember these two men were men who had been listening to john the baptist and what they were really wanting was to have a conversation a longer conversation uh, with the lord with jesus and so Jesus says, well, you want to know where I'm staying? Come on back to my place. <laughs> and he invites them home, uh, not, to, not to check out his accommodation, um, but for that longer conversation. Um, it's interesting here that uh, John, the author of the Gospel, provides us with um, some of the finer detail of this because he tells us what the exact time of day it was that they uh, went with Jesus back to the place where he was staying and he tells us that it was about the 10th hour now what does that mean well you might think well, is that 10 o'clock in the morning uh, well no the the jews actually uh, considered daytime uh, to commence when the sun rose 
How about that? That's logical, isn't it? And uh, as a point of reference, they said that that would be 6am according to the Roman way of counting time. So 6am plus 10 hours equals, who can tell us? 4 o'clock in the afternoon, 4pm. Uh, and if you're reading this in the updated NIV on your, uh, on your phone at the moment, uh, you'll note that it just says 4pm. I prefer it <coughs> if they make you do the thinking about it. <laughs> but 4pm, uh, in 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And we're told that they remain with Jesus for the rest of the day. Now, what do you reckon they would have spoken about? Well, <sighs> probably not the weather or how good the fishing was. Uh, check out what happened next. Uh, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. So he's one of the two. The first thing Andrew did, that is after leaving Jesus' place, was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. See, it doesn't sound like that they were just having small talk back at Jesus' place, does it? Uh, no, because they left that house. They left the place where Jesus was staying um, convinced they were now convinced by whatever had gone on in that house, whatever conversation that they'd had, they were convinced that Jesus, that they had met uh, the Messiah. Now, notice that John recounts that in two different languages. He uses the word Messiah, uh, Messiah which is um, Aramaic. It's also the same in Hebrew, but he uses the Aramaic, and that was the language that was spoken um, at that place at that time it was the language which jesus himself spoke so messiah messiah is an aramaic word but then john goes and translates it into the greek word and that's the language that he wrote the gospel in that's the language which his readers of this gospel would have been able to understand and the greek word for messiah is the word um, Christos or Christ. Um, in English, uh, we could translate it further from Greek into English. In English, it's anointed one. That's what it is. And the Old Testament prophets had said that one day that God would send his anointed one, his anointed king, and that that king... Uh, would rule over an, an, an everlasting kingdom, would rule over God's kingdom forever. And so these two followers, they, they didn't understand the full implication of that at this point. They didn't really have a proper understanding of what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. In fact, they tended to think of the Messiah as being someone who would uh, come and who would drive out the Roman occupiers and establish a new kingdom, a political kingdom, a kingdom of Israel, similar to the kingdom under David and Solomon. So they didn't quite understand. But yet what they did understand is that the man they had met 
was Messiah. And it changed their lives. Now, it's at this point that we learn their names. Well, sort of. The, the name of one of these two followers is actually never mentioned in John's Gospel. He's often referred to as the unnamed disciple. And as I said last week, that's probably because it was John, the author of the Gospel himself. And he uh, just doesn't want to draw attention to himself. But we do know that we are told at this point the name of the other man. And his name uh, is Andrew. And for Andrew, the, ne the, the very next thing on his agenda, probably the next day, the very next thing, having met up with Jesus in Jesus' home, having come away convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, the very next thing that he wants to do is he wants to go and tell others about that. And he tracks down his brother, Simon, and tells him about Jesus. Now, isn't it wonderful when someone is a brand new, fresh Christian? Uh, do you remember those days? If you <clears throat> Do you, you know what it's like? We know what it's like when we, we share the gospel with someone and they, they come to faith in Christ and it, it just changes their lives around. Suddenly living in spiritual darkness and coming into the knowledge of, uh, of God, uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful. They don't, they don't particularly care what people think about them. They may not have, <clears throat> have all the words to properly articulate uh, their, the truths about Jesus, but they're just infectious to go out and tell others about Jesus. I remember when my mother became a Christian probably 15 years ago, and uh, first thing she did was get on the phone to me and say, hey, Scott, just phoning up to tell you that God is real. And then she got on the phone to all these other family members, and, and that's what it's like, isn't it? When you, when you, you, you meet the most important person... You, met, you meet the Son of God and you find out that he's died for your sins and he's given you forgiveness. You just want to go and tell others about him and it's wonderful. But that's not just something for new Christians, is it, folks? Of course not. <clears throat> I know Christians who've known Jesus for longer than I have lived and the fire in their belly, it's not smouldering, it's burning more than ever as they just want to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, and we should be like that. We should always remember who Jesus is, what he's done for us, rejoice in that, and just tell others about him. And this is what was going on uh, in this passage. Uh, like with this first disciple, Andrew, who was just bursting to go and tell his brother about Jesus. His brother's name was Simon. But when Simon came to, was brought to Jesus, physically brought to Jesus, and Jesus says, well, I'm going to give you another name. And he, he says, you are Simon Bar-Jonah, son, Simon son of John. Um, I'm going to now call you Cephas. Now, that also is an Aramaic word, um, which, and of course, that's the language which Jesus spoke. But translated into Greek, it's the word Petros or Peter. <clears throat> and then if we translate that into uh, English, uh, it's the word rock. Peter is rock. So any Peters here today? 
<coughs> you're a rock. That's what it's saying. It doesn't mean that you've got rocks in your head. It's a, a reference to being solid, strong, a foundation, if you like. And it would have seemed a little bit um, strange calling Cephas rock because at this point in his life, he was more like sand than rock. In fact, just a few years later, when Jesus is put on trial, uh, this so-called rock turns to sand and denies that he even knows Jesus in fear. But notice that in verse 40, John, the author, introduces Andrew as being Simon Peter's brother. Now, why is that? Well, it means that because by the time that this gospel was written, Peter was now better known than his, than his brother Andrew. Um, Peter uh, the, had become the rock because the rock, which is the truth about Jesus, had become the very basis of his life and Peter is now a leader of God's church. And that is the difference which, which Jesus can make in any person's life. Uh, where Jesus turn, turns weak insecure people into men and women of courage of conviction and of confidence uh, to tell others like that was going on here uh, see in verse 43 the next day jesus decided to leave for galilee finding philip he said to him follow me philip like andrew and peter was from the town of bethsaida Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the Lord, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. So, uh, <clears throat> picture it, they have now left the Jordan River. And they're following Jesus and they went to Galilee, where either there or en route, they met a man named Philip, um, whose name, by the way, means lover of horses. Any Philips here today? Next time you meet a friend, yeah, got a Philip Aroni. How, how's the horses going, mate? <coughs> Good to see you here, up from Beecroft uh, Presbyterian Church with Heather. Lovely to see you here today. Lover of horses. Now, Andrew and Peter may have already known him because we're told that he came from Bethsaida, the town of Bethsaida, which was the town that Andrew and Peter had originally come from, uh, but we know from other parts in the Gospel that they had moved uh, since then uh, to Capernaum. Now, Jesus said to Philip, follow me. And what did he do? He did. He followed Jesus. Which I take it that that's likely to be the end point of a longer conversation because Philip had become persuaded that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One to whom, as he says, the law and the prophets had pointed 
So Philip, he is now bubbling over. And he goes out and finds his friend, Nathaniel. And he wants to share the news about Jesus with, with Nathaniel. And notice in verse 45 how Philip describes Jesus. Um, what does he say? He is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. That is his name, his town, his father. In biblical times, if you wanted to identify a specific person, pinpoint that person, that's how you do it. Their name, their town, their father. It's like uh, these days you'd say your name, your address, uh, your date of birth. That's how you would pinpoint the exact person. So he tells him where he actually comes from. He comes from Nazareth. But is Nathaniel impressed by this? Well, not exactly. Uh, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, here's the thing. The, the region that they've gone to is the region of Galilee. Um, other Jews uh, actually look down on Galileans particularly people living in Judea, around Jerusalem. Uh, they actually look down on the Galileans. But it seems that within Galilee, there was a pecking order as well. <laughs> and the Galileans, they seem to have looked down on people who come from Nazareth. You see, Nazareth was the lowest of the lows. I don't think Jesus minded that, though. Uh, you see, he was humble. Um, he was lowly. Uh, Jesus wasn't born in Nazareth. Jesus was born in, in Bethlehem, which is the royal city, the, the city of David. And he could have been known as Jesus of Bethlehem or Jesus of the Bethlehemite, but he would have been quite happy to be Jesus of Nazareth because he is humble. And he didn't come to be honoured. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve and actually to give his life as a ransom for many. That's something which would really change Nathaniel's life. Now, Nathaniel is an interesting character because each of the other men who are mentioned in this chapter, apart from John the Baptist, became apostles. Um, Andrew became an apostle. Simon Peter became an apostle. Philip became an apostle. John, the author of the book, assuming he is the unnamed disciple, became an apostle. But in the Gospels, in the, the lists of the 12 apostles, there is no mention of anyone called Nathaniel. However, there is an apostle named Bartholomew, which may actually be another name for Nathaniel. Uh, because Bartholomew means son of Tholomew, or son of Tolmai, to be more correct. So this person who's in the list of apostles called Bartholomew, uh, that's his father's name. <laughs> he would also have a personal name, and for various reasons, it seems that Nathaniel is probably the man who is identified as the Apostle Bartholomew. 
But we can't be certain. And it doesn't really matter. Because the important thing is the thing which we can be certain about is that this Nathaniel became a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And his story of how he became a disciple is, I think, the high point of this passage. Let me read it to you. Verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite, in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael said. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, Nathanael had been sceptical about Jesus. He came from Nazareth. But how did Jesus describe Nathanael? Well, he says, he's a true Israelite, um, in whom there is nothing false. I want to say something about that word false. Um, <clears throat> the original, I, I prefer the original the Greek word, actually, because the original Greek word is the word for bait. Um, the, uh, the bait that you put on a hook and on a line and throw it into the, into the water. That's the, the bait which we use to lure a fish, to trick a fish into thinking that this is going to be a nice, tasty thing to eat and you get hooked and, and, you, and you're done for. You see, there is no deceit. Uh, there is no... Uh, Nathaniel's not a charmer. He's not a deceitful person. Uh, there's no deceit in him. Uh, he, he's, what you see is what you get. If he doesn't think much of, of Nazareth, he'll tell you so. <laughs> he's the real deal. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that. How did he know that? How do you know me? asks Nathaniel. And the answer that he receives is a game changer. Jesus says to you, says to him, Well, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. And on the basis of that answer, this man's life is, is changed. And you think to yourself, Well, why? What's the big deal about the fig tree? That seems strange for you know, going from, you know, can anything good come out of, out of Nazareth to having a completely opposite view? What is it about the, the fig tree? In the Bible, the, the fig tree was a symbol or a man sitting under his fig tree was a symbol of God's blessing upon that man and his family. Because it was a symbol that um, there is peace in the land, that a man's got his, his own house, his own fig tree, and he can sit under his fig tree. It's like, you know, you've got your house, you've got your swimming pool, you've got your shade sail, you're sitting there, your feet up, relaxing, because the year's over, 
and it's blissful. That's the symbol of the fig tree. But more than that, but more than that, in Israel, the fig tree and sitting under the fig tree, that was the place where a person would go to to spend time with God, to think about God, to reflect on God, to pray to God. That's where you'd go for your quiet time. Something's happened between Nathaniel and God when he's been sitting under the, the fig tree. Something memorable, something that was significant for Nathaniel. And Jesus knew about it before he'd even met the man. How could that be? Well, Nathaniel can only come up with one conclusion. And it's, he says some pretty big things about Jesus here. When Jesus pointed that out to him, that that's how I know you, his scepticism just melts. And far from wondering if anything good can come out from Nazareth, he then praises Jesus with the, po the highest possible honours that are available to him. And he calls him Rabbi. But more than just Rabbi... Son of God, King of Israel. In other words, he is convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, when ordinary Australians were asked by McKindle Research, <coughs> McKindle, McKindle Research, about what's likely to attract them to religion or attract them to spirituality, they also asked them the opposite of that. The flip side, and that is, what, what is it that's likely to scare you away from religion, scare you away from spirituality, turn you off? Um, there was a couple of things, two things on, that were top of the list. One was um, politicians and famous people actually talking about God, <laughs> which is interesting. And the other one was stories about miracles. Stories about miracles actually turn people off. And in one sense, we can understand that because the question is, well, what kind of stories d d have they heard and from whom? Because there are a lot of people who say, who make claims about spiritual experiences and miracles and so on, which can't be verified and sometimes seem to be performed by people who look a bit shady, <laughs> look a bit dodgy. But not so here. The miracles of Jesus are not like that. Witnessed by many people whose lives were changed, they reveal his identity. That is, that he is the promised Messiah. But they mean very little without the greatest miracle of all. Now, in verse 47, <coughs> we saw that Jesus described Nathanael as being a true Israelite or as some versions put it truly an Israelite no need for us to go into the details of the differences there but he's identified as being an Israelite now where does that name come from well Israel was was a man wasn't he um, who in the book of Genesis his name was not originally Israel. What was his name originally? Who can tell me before it was changed? Anyone want to have a, has a guess at that? 
Uh, Jacob. Yeah, that's right. Here's a man, Jacob, um, <coughs> the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. So it goes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had an experience with God, and God changed his name to Israel, which means he wrestles with God. That was another experience that Jacob had. And that is in chapter 28 of Genesis, he was on a journey by himself and he was camping overnight in a particular place, out in the open, when he had a dream. And in that dream, he saw a giant staircase and the staircase was linking earth to the heavens. And on that staircase, he saw angels, messengers from God who were ascending and descending and ascending and going up and down between heaven and earth on this staircase. And then God spoke to him and God confirmed to him the promises that he had made to his grandfather Abraham that he would give him a land, a people and a blessing, promises which we know are fulfilled ultimately in the kingdom of heaven. It was a dream that changed Jacob's life, Israel's life. Now, in John chapter 1, Nathanael had enough reason to believe in Jesus. The miracle that Jesus knew what had gone on between God and, and Nathanael under his fig tree, but something greater lay ahead. Verse 50. Jesus said to Nathanael, You believe because I told you I, I saw you under the fig tree. You will see even greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Well, now what does that sound like? That's Jacob's dream, isn't it? It sounds very much, this is an allusion to Jacob's dream, except for two things that are different about it. Number one, that Jacob actually did not see heaven opened. And number two, here there is no ladder. Or is there? What is it that the, the angels of God are ascending and descending upon? He's the Son of Man. The Son of Man is a term which Jesus applied to himself. It has uh, allusions back to Daniel uh, chapter 9, I think it is, uh, where uh, Daniel sees a vision of one like a Son of Man approaching the, the Ancient of Days in heaven. Um, but it's also a, a term which is a little less, a little bit more ambiguous than saying, I am the Christ. <laughs> Because the Jews had imported into that term so much that was not actually correct, but by Jesus, Jesus referring to himself as being the Son of Man, he's able to inject that with his own meaning. And here he tells that the angels of God will be ascending between heaven and earth upon the Son of Man, upon himself, upon Jesus. And over the next three years, Nathaniel would see uh, the uh, connection between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of, uh, of this world. He would see that the kingdom of heaven would be breaking into the kingdom of this world 
as he saw that the, he, the sick were being healed, that the demon-possessed were being liberated, that the dead would, were, were being raised, that the, the, the symbols of the effect of the fall were being reversed. And that because ultimately it points to Jesus himself who would die for our sins and who would rise again so that there could be forgiveness, so that, the, that heaven can be open to all, to all who come to him in faith and in repentance. That's the good news of the gospel, isn't it? Tell me, how infectious are you for Jesus? You know, these early disciples, they were contagious, weren't they? Andrew searched for his brother, Philip went out and found his friend Nathaniel in order to tell them about Jesus. Word of mouth, because they had met God's King. I had a friend who uh, was introduced to a particular product uh, which he became convinced of would heal you of all of your sicknesses. Any sickness you want, his product would heal you of that sickness he became i think he was t totally wrong but he was convinced and he was going around to all of his friends he drove once a hundred kilometers to visit a person who was sick because he wanted to introduce them to that product friends we know about jesus are you infectious for jesus are you wanting to go and talk to people who you know your family your friends your uh, friends at uni, your friends at school, are you praying for them that they would know about Jesus? How infectious are you? There are lots of ways that people hear about Jesus and turn to him. Sometimes, believe it or not, it actually happens in church <laughs> because there can be people that have been coming to church for years and not really hearing the gospel and then suddenly... The lights switch on and they come to faith in Jesus. Sometimes we've had people just walk in off the streets saying, I just, I just want to know about God. But mostly, it's outside of this context, isn't it? Uh, it might be in a, in a scripture class. We teach 1,300 kids the word of God each week during school term in Port Macquarie. Uh, it might be in a Christian camp like the PY camp that's happening in Stanwell Tops at the moment. Or it might be through a friend, a friend at school, a friend at university, a friend at work, um, a neighbour or a family member who loves Jesus and just wants to tell others about him. And it's going to be happening this week through beach missions throughout the, up and down the coast on Town Beach. And we pray that there will be people who will hear about Jesus for the first time and uh, come to understand that he is the Christ, the one in whom they can find forgiveness. What's the common factor in all of that? The common factor is ordinary people, like you and me, who've got a genuine faith and a genuine love for others. So let's be that kind of people, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for uh, Jesus. We thank you for who he is, that he is your king. 
and that he was humble, humble enough to die for us on a cross and rise again so that the gates of heaven would be open to us. Father, refresh us, we pray, with a, uh, a love for Jesus and a boldness to go out and tell others about him. We pray that through our words and our witness that many people would be attracted to Christ. Amen.